0: And I'm so grateful for the knowledge that God not only knows me, but that He loves me as well. Aren't you glad that uh, Joe and Stefania are with us? I am very glad that they are here. I am especially glad when it's mealtime at my house. And Stefania has prepared, oh, just this five or six course Italian meal. Delicious! I am enjoying their company uh, in many ways. And it's nice to get to know people that you prayed for, cared for, you've, you, you've thought about, you've corresponded with. And I know some of you, this is the first time, you for all of you, this Wednesday night was the first time you had seen Stefania. Some of you may have seen Joe before. Uh, but it's just nice to get to know those kind of people. And the more time I spend with the Hoonsingers, I've been called seekers. Is that better? Right. I've been saying Um uh, But the more time I spend with this lovely family from Italy, uh, the more I get to know them. Well, I'm getting to know the parts of them that they want me to know about, essentially. I mean, I, I might see a few little things here or there that they didn't intend for me to see. But that's, so far, none of that's been going on. But I'm, I'm learning about the parts of their lives that they want me to know. Now, what if this morning you were up here today telling about your life? Or, horrors, what if I were to say, Brian Radlitch, come on up here, this is your life! We have had secret cameras following you for 20 years. And there are things that you have done some good, some not so good, that we're going to see right here on video this morning. And through the miracle of up-to-minute technology, up-to-the-last-minute technology, we've even been able to read some of your thoughts in your mind. Things that you didn't know anybody else would ever know about except for you. Come on up. This is your life. Now, what if your name had been called in place of Brian's name? Would you be saying, Yes! This is my moment in the sun. Or would you be saying, I am out of here, never to return. Uh, I think most of us would be heading for the door. We wouldn't dare take a chance on what might or might not be up on that screen. Now, we're, you know, if, if you had to endure it, you're just hoping desperately that certain things you know, are not going to be up there. What would be shown? What would be left out Though You can't know. Well, we can smile at that kind of a scenario because we know it. Couldn't happen. Not only wouldn't it happen, it couldn't happen. It's impossible. It's a different matter altogether, however, when we consider what God knows about us. Everything. He knows everything about us. And should God's perfect knowledge of us cause us, be a cause for concern and fear or a cause for comfort? Both, actually. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. In fact, Derek Kidner says this about Psalm 139. Any small thoughts we may have had of God are magnificently transcended by this psalm. Yet for all its height and depth, it remains intensely personal from first to last. Actually, you could say that about a whole lot of psalms. And yet it's especially true of Psalm 139. This psalm was written by King David and it was delivered to the choir master. It was worthy to be sung by the absolute best musicians in the land. Give it to David. Don't give it to Brad if you want this song well, is the, is the point here. Give it to the choir master. Indeed, though we see God in all of his magnificent transcendence or holiness and greatness, there's a gentle and tender intimacy to this entire song. There's one part of the psalm, though, that um, seems out of place when David expresses his hatred for the enemies of God and and, and, and asks for justice to be done. I'm going to explain that section uh, rather thoroughly next week. I had uh, really worried about how to do justice to what we call the imprecatory psalms, or the psalms where a curse is being called down on the enemies of the of the writer or the enemies of God. And there's, there are a lot of them in there, so I thought we would be doing that in in the context of this psalm, but it's just not time. Uh, this is not strictly an Old Testament thing, so next week when we look at the imprecatory psalms, we're going to also spend a lot of time in the New Testament. You think of this as, this is just Old Testament, But there's some of this calling down of curses in the New Testament also. And we need to understand how it all applies to us in these New Testament times. This morning, though, we're going to explore our relationship with a God who sees and knows everything about us, yet who loves us tenderly. In fact, God created us exactly as we are and put us in the context of history of family, of community, for His purposes, to glorify Himself. And we glorify Him when we invite His inspection of our lives with a view toward repentance of sin. You'll see all of these truths in Psalm 139. So if you would, please stand and we will read this psalm from God's Word. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be as night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me... When as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. All that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? It's strange that though we understand that you know everything about us, we rarely invite you to search us thoroughly, like David asked at the end of this psalm. So, Father, may we understand what it means that you know us completely and yet long for us to seek you out and to invite your further, well, not further inspection, but your complete inspection that. Enables us to understand what you already know about us, and then to seek the remedy of your forgiveness, Father, in our day, we understand that that forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus, and we thank you so much for jesus' sacrifice on our behalf it's his and it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen, thank you and be seated. Why would King David want to be known by a holy God. Why would any of us, in fact, desire to be known by a holy and perfect God whose standard we can never come anywhere close of achieving? We can never attain to the standard that, that he upholds. Well, as I, I just said in my prayer, David really didn't start this psalm with an invitation for God to reveal all about himself that he needed to know. He just started with an acknowledgement that God knows everything about me. He is known. David said, I am known. We are known by Yahweh. And we know Yahweh as Father, Son, and Spirit. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. Think about what's implied in David's statement. I mean, I think most of us would acknowledge that this is true. That God knows everything. He's present everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. We would acknowledge that. But I wonder if our lives second the motion. Or if we just abstain, you know, when it comes to living as if God knows everything about us. I think most of us fall into one of three categories when it comes to being known by God and by others. First of all, there are some people who want you to know everything about them. I mean, they tell you everything. You, you think, wow, I can't believe you said that, you know. A little surprising. And I suppose the desire there is to see if people really know them, if they will still be loved and accepted. Then there are those who absolutely do not want you to know anything. About them. They don't tell you about their activities, their business. You ask them anything personal, they'll tell you. That's personal. Rather not talk about that. I mean, they just, they're, they're shut off. I think most of us, though, fall into a third category. Those are two extremes. This third category, though, is that we want to project an image that's not entirely accurate. We want you to know something about us that might not be true, but makes you think the best about us. We hide our weaknesses unless revealing those weaknesses will make us to appear to be humble and spiritual. We accentuate our strengths, but we're careful not to appear arrogant. It's just kind of the way we are. As for our sins, well, we just assume you not know about those at all. In fact, I don't like to think about those. I especially don't want you thinking about my sins. One of the problems with such Image projecting is that we begin to believe the image we're projecting is really who we are. We start to think, this is who I am. Didn't I tell you that? I thought I, 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 thought I made it clear that this is who I am. When we're not accountable to anyone about our private lives, we can really get into trouble. You know, I read an article in World Magazine, a long article about uh, the governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford, and gentleman to whom he had been accountable for years and years told him when he got in the governor's office, you need to be accountable, Mark. And he said, okay, yeah, I agree with you, but he just never got around to it. There was nobody to even ask him a question. How are you doing in your private life? What's going on? And so especially when power accompanies and resources accompany our secret lives, then we can do things for a long time. And we don't want people to know who we are because then we've got to deal with who we are. That's why this psalm is so very important. It helps us to remember that nothing in our lives is ultimately private. Nothing. Nothing. We sense David's full awareness in verse 1. That God knows everything about us. Everything. Maybe I'll talk before long about the need for this accountability with with one another. But let's just start today with our accountability to to the God who knows everything about us. Verse 2. You know when I sit down to rest and think. And you know when I rise up for action. And even though I may project... A less than accurate image to others. You discern my thoughts. You separate my desires and intentions from reality. Oh, we've got good intentions, don't we? About 20 years ago, you used to hear people say, I I just want you to know the real me. Well, make no mistake. God knows the real you. He knows the real me. Verse 3. The Hebrew word for search implies a sifting. It's a very thorough examination of our ways, which completes the thought of of verse 2. And though we may stray from God's path, we're walking God's path and then we say, you know, I think I'm going to go over here. Guess what? He goes with us. He never leaves our path. He's always there. He knows about everything that we do. More than that, verse 4 informs us that before we even begin to speak... God knows what we're going to say. You ever been talking to someone, you know, and they say something and you say, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Or sometimes we say that I didn't expect that from you. That really shocks me. I had no idea. Well, well, guess what? God knows everything that we're going to say. 8 years from now, he knows everything about us. Everything that we do, everything that we think, even the the subtle inconsistencies in our heart and minds that we don't even know about. He knows everything about us. He knows who we are. Even as David speaks of, of God's penetrating knowledge of us, there's comfort in the mix. Verse 5 tells of the way that God surrounds us and tenderly cares for us. When David says, you lay your hand upon me, he's he's speaking about a a tender, gentle gesture. Now, some of you, I know, have employed with children the old grab them on the shoulder and pinch method of control. And it's a pretty effective method of control. That's not what he's talking about here. I'm certain that God does that for us sometimes. But in the context of this psalm, what he's saying is that... That in the, this knowledge that you know me completely, you just take your hand and and lay it tenderly and gently upon me. It, it, it's it's one of the things that I I miss the most about Linda, the way that, especially when I was upset, that she would just lay her hand on me, and and calm my spirit. And that's and that's the idea of what the Lord is doing for us. God is doing for us. In the person of the Holy Spirit, He lays his hand gently upon us. And we do when we do that for others in in appropriate settings. Now you know you can be inappropriate with that, but when it's an appropriate person, you're being like God. You're you're revealing his character when you comfort someone in that way. David is overcome when he considers that a holy God. Utterly knows Him. Which cannot entirely be a good thing. It can't. That this holy God utterly knows me. And yet this perfect and all-powerful God surrounds Him and lays His hand gently upon Him. Reassuring Him that He cares deeply about Him. That's why David says in verse 6 that all of this is just more than he can comprehend. It's too wonderful for me. He's not... Saying this in the sense of, hey, this is way cool. God, he's saying, it's too much for me. I can't, my little mind cannot comprehend how a holy God can know me completely and love me in this way. Because of God's intimate knowledge of him, it appears that David has this impulse to flee. I think that's true of all of us. When we come face to face with our sin before God, we want to flee. We want to get away from Him. It's no use trying, though, David said. In heaven, God is there. In Sheol, God is there in the grave, is what he's saying. From from the heights to the depths, you can't go high or low. and Nor can you take the wings of the morning in the east when the sun rises. Nor Go to the distant reaches of the Mediterranean Sea in the west. You cannot go in any direction. He's always there. In verse 10, David says though, but even still, God's hand extends to me in love. Even though I can go nowhere away from Him, His love is extending to me. That still doesn't keep him from wanting to hide. Yet He recognizes He can't hide from God. Darkness? What darkness? Secrets? What secrets? There are no secrets with God. How can one have secrets from his or her creator and sustainer? God was intimately involved in making me just exactly as I am. That's what David said, and it's what we have to acknowledge. Are you happy about that? Are you... Pleased that God gave you the exact body and personalities and gifts and heritage that He did? Now, this fallen world speaks to who we are, but also the fact that God specifically made me just exactly as I am in my mother's womb speaks also very much to To who I am today. Do you believe that God is intimately involved in a fetus life? Inside the womb? Do you believe that? How? How? If you believe that, how can you even consider for a moment that abortion is an acceptable way to deal with a life? Now, if you're here today and you've had an abortion, please don't think I'm being thoughtless or unkind. I, I'm so sorry, and I want you to know that God not only forgives, but He can remove the guilt. He can He can take care of that. But we have to talk about this heinous sin that is so so pervasive in our our land, and so so easily considered as a a way to get out of the consequences of. Of actions, Psalm one thirty nine tells us that when you end, we we have to we we have to conclude from Psalm one thirty nine that when you end the life of a fetus, you're ending the life of a boy or a girl that God was specially designing for His purposes. Now He knew that this life was going to be ended; He understood that He's God; He knew all, all of that. But it. It does not release us, one else, from a responsibility. And if abortion interrupts a life, it is no different than anyone else dying, no matter the age. Could I ever vote for a pro-choice, pro-abortion candidate? Only if there were no pro-life candidate in the mix. Politics, for me, is always a lesser of two evils. But there is no way... That I could vote for a pro-choice candidate over a pro-life candidate. Just no way. And please don't tell me we need, we shouldn't be single issue voters. Let me ask you something. If a candidate were running on the platform and saying, I think that when a person gets over 80, it's up to his children or the nearest relative to, to determine whether that life is viable anymore. And, and, and if they want him to be euthanized, then so be it. Would you vote for that candidate? What's the difference? What's the difference? When you vote for a candidate who says it's okay to go inside a mother's womb... And take that, or let the baby be half-born. And then in that life that God was designing just the way He designed you, with the same care, the same love, that He designed you. Okay, I better stop. I'm, I'm done. God's intimate activity in the womb was a part of His ultimate plan for us. He's just not working on us now. He didn't start working on us when we got saved, when we trusted Jesus. He's been working on us from before the foundation of the world. That should comfort you. And, and by the way, to comfort also, he formed this day especially for you. This day, especially for you. That should comfort you, if you, especially if you're in the midst of a trial. It comforted David. to to know that God had been intimately involved from the get-go. He said in verse 17 in so many words that God's commitment to detail in forming his body and directing his days was proof of his love and care for him. You may recall that David had some pretty tough days. And what had he done to be hunted down like a dog by Saul, the king? Nothing. He had done nothing but support Saul. And yet Saul wanted to kill him. Even still, when David contemplated God's care for him, he he found it vaster than the sand by the seas. You know, just can't take those little grains and count them. Your love for me, is that awesome? That great. David may have been saying in verse 18 that he went to sleep thinking about God's love for him. And when he awoke, he found that God was still there. It It was a wonderful dream that was true. But all is not as it should be in life. There always seems to be some form of trouble in River City. I mean, there are those who oppose God, and David has trouble with them. Verses 19 to 22 are frankly troublesome for most Christ followers. I mean, aren't we supposed to forgive our enemies and allow God to take vengeance on those who seek to do us harm? Well, yes. Yes. But the portions of these writings that we call the imprecatory Psalms, or Psalms in which a curse is called out on one's enemy, serve a purpose that didn't end when Jesus came. Jesus called for a few of them himself. Paul did also. And, and these New Testament imprecations or calls for cursing that point to God's holiness Uh, There are these New Testament that point to God holiness, yet there's forgiveness for all who will come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of sin. How does it all work together? Well, we'll get into that next week, and we'll spend a fair amount of time, as I said, in the New Testament next week. David uh, began this psalm with an acknowledgement of God's perfect and complete understanding of himself and, we have to say, of every human being. He ends the psalm with the desire for God to make his knowledge of David known to David. He says, Lord, you know me perfectly. And he he goes through all of this and then he says, Now, I, I want you to help me to see exactly what you see. For the purpose of making this right. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to ask again what I ask at the very beginning of this psalm. Why would David want to be utterly known by a holy God? Why would any of us want to be utterly known by the one whose standard of holiness is unattainable? By any one of us. Well, it would be foolish unless we were convinced that God loves us and wants to bring us in a closer relationship with himself, even though he is holy and we are not and he knows every intimate detail of our lives. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the the placement of this good news in Romans 8.1 is remarkable. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It follows on the heels of Romans 7. I mean, it is immediately after Paul has expressed this incredible difficulty that he has with his own flesh. He says, I want to do all of these things for God, and yet I find myself not doing them. Not only that, what's worse, there are things over here that I hate, hate about who I am and the things that I do and 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 think and feel at the very least what battle was going on in Paul's mind, he's expressing and he says, and I end up doing the very things that I hate to do. He got to the place where he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? In Tarsus, where Paul grew up, I've told this before, but it bears repeating in the light of all that we've read about Psalm 139, there was a a, a, a custom where if you were caught red handed murdering someone, instead of executing you or putting you in jail, they would tie this body around your back and you had to carry it. Um, and you can imagine so many crimes being crimes of passion, someone that you once loved, uh, now you've murdered, and the guilt, you, your, your fury is expended, and the guilt sets in, and then this decaying body. Can you imagine? And it would just be enough to drive you crazy. And that's where Paul is. He's saying, the struggle that I have with me is about to drive me crazy. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. But with my mind, with the spirit, I serve the law of God. Then, the very next word, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, learn to say no to sin. You don't have to. You've been uh, baptized into Jesus and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. You're a different person now. You don't have to sin. It shall not have dominion over you. Romans 7, uh-oh, there's still a part of me that very much wants to sin, that wants to do wrong. Romans 8, the Spirit of God will do for you what you absolutely cannot do for yourself. Jesus kept the law perfectly, the law that we couldn't keep. And now we walk in the power of the Spirit and we live the way that God wants us to, not in our own strength, but because of what He's done for us. David wasn't blessed with the knowledge that we have of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the behalf on our behalf, that absorbed God's judgment of sin for all who believe. And yet, God's Spirit impressed this truth upon his heart. That somehow this holy and just God that had to be given sacrifices every year, uh, a serious sacrifice every year, and then sacrifices all through the year to cover the sins, that they had somehow David understood by God's Spirit that... God was good when He created us. And and it's a good thing that He knows us. And that He reveals our true selves to us. You know, when, when something that is true about us that we don't want to admit is revealed to us, it's painful at first, isn't it? It's tragic when we try to hide from God's Spirit who reveals our sin to us. And, and 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 it's understandable though because it's painful when we see something about us that we don't want to admit I, and so our tendency is to try to hide from god it, it it's not that we take the wings of the morning or you know we're going to the ends of the sea but we we find uh, we we find relief in distraction we, we we bring noise into our lives we 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 justify the things that we have done. We we do anything but deal with this difficult word about who we are. Sometimes God speaks directly through His Word. Sometimes He uses others. It's difficult when it's others who are imperfect as we are. But it's it's still often true. Things that we need to think about. So... The last thing we should be doing, but the first tendency we have is to shush the Holy Spirit and to say, shh, shh, shh that's, that's not who I am. That's not, that's not true about me. We fail to see our sin in the same light as God sees it. So we justify and pretend that He doesn't see it or that it's not what it's been reported to be or that He'll overlook our sin. Well, Psalm thirty-nine, 139 tells us we can't do that. God knows us as we are, but the good news is that He loves us and He cares nonetheless. You know, it could be that you're here this morning, and I, I spoke so passionately about abortion a while ago. If if you've had an abortion, and I, I would be almost surprised if there's some not someone who has either had an abortion or a man who has participated uh, with a with a woman at some point and encouraging her to have an abortion. I please understand. That God's forgiveness is complete. Now, you may be a Christian or you may not. You may have trusted Jesus as your Savior. It could be that you're here this morning, not connected with abortion, but just you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've sensed that what we've said, what we've read in Psalm 139 is true, that God knows everything about you and that His standard is so high that you could never achieve it. Maybe... You've bought into this idea that when we get to heaven, if our good works outweigh our our bad works, then, you know, God's going to say, come on in. But there's just no way. No, when He knows everything about us, (laughs) there's no way. It will ever be good enough to get there. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came for that very purpose of saving us. Who were hopeless and helpless before a holy God. God loved us so much. He sent Jesus. And Jesus lived this perfect law. Romans 8, 1-4. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Details it perfectly. He lived this perfect life. So he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And he was the perfect substitute and sacrifice on our behalf. And when we confess to God that we are a sinner. We recognize that we are who he says we are. And and we ask Him for forgiveness of our sins. And we we, we turn in our hearts and our minds from those sins. And you'll never quit doing that without God's help. That's not what I'm talking about. But you say, Lord, I'm I'm done with that life with your help. I'm, I'm putting that behind me. And I'm turning to you. I'm turning to you, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Then, just like that, you become a child of God. You're born again. You've been saved in that moment. And if you're here this morning and, and you're struggling with that, trying to be good enough, please give it up and just say, I can't. I, I, I got I to gotta trust in Jesus. You know, people who are really concerned about morality, but they don't know Jesus. Um, just like the Pharisees, some of those <laughs> curses were on the Pharisees that Jesus uttered. Uh, they, they, they think of the things that are important to them as being really what counts. And that's why they can look down their noses at other people and say, well, uh, you're doing this, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Uh, moralists can be very wicked people, but they find a way somehow to justify in their minds that what I'm doing is okay, but what you're doing is not. Look, it's not, none of it's okay when we get before God. The good news is, Jesus. Well, for those of you who know Jesus, I hope this psalm has encouraged you to come clean before the Lord rather than to try try and hide when your sin is, is revealed to you. I mean, is there a sin in your life that you need to deal with? God promises us in 1 John 1, 9. As we are confessing, He is forgiving. It's a continual process. It's an ongoing thing. That we need to be confessing, repenting of our sins. Day in and day out. But as we do it, He forgives us in this perfect relationship. This incredible, tender love of this God who lays His hand gently upon us. Means so much more than it does when we are obstinate and stubborn. And hang on to our dignity or whatever. Whatever it is we're trying to salvage. Would you humble yourself this morning before the Lord and ask His forgiveness? Would you, would you invite, first of all, His thorough inspection of your life, of your heart, your motives, all of these things, and then deal with The sin that He reveals in the way that He's called us to. Confess it and be free. Free. I I, I almost titled this message today. I haven't been titling the Psalms messages. Just Psalm 139. I almost titled it, Busted, but Free. It's true, isn't it? Let's pray.